experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. So glad you could join me today. What a run we've had since the end of March. It's mind-boggling. But I don't think the tank is empty here. I don't want to spend too much time on this today because I've talked a lot about my feelings on the current market for the past few weeks. Suffice it to say, I still think that in, say, 9 to 12 months from now, will be higher than where we are now, with one caveat. That's if the Democrats take control of the White House and perhaps even the Senate. And I'll talk more about this in the coming months. It's most likely that if Biden wins the presidency, the markets will suffer. And that's because he's already said he's going to raise taxes, both corporate tax or both the corporate tax rate and personal rates. It wouldn't surprise me to see the markets becoming more volatile depending on who's ahead in the polls. Forget about CNN, Washington Post, or the Fox News polls. I'd be looking at the betting markets for the best gauge. Now, I say that I think that we have more in the tank. And the popular retort is going to be, well, look how expensive the market is. And you're right. About 20% of the S&P 500 is made up of five companies. And those have been doing the heavy lifting here and driving the market higher. This past weekend in the Barron's Trader column, Jim Paulson pointed out, he broke the market down into two groups, one containing the top quarter of stocks by valuation, and then the other remaining 75%. Then he compared them going back to 1950. What he came up with is that basically the most expensive stocks have gotten far more expensive with the average valuation having gone from 26.3 times earnings to 38.3 times earnings. And the average for the remainder of the market really hasn't changed much. It's 14 and a half times earnings versus 13.2 times earnings. The takeaway here, the broad market is really not that overvalued. There are still pockets of value out there. Okay, let's move on. During the summer, I like to cover some concepts on investing. And today I want to talk about valuing a stock. Last week, we talked about planning for your future. If you missed it, you should go back and give that show a listen. Planning is really the key to it all. The markets are going to go up and markets are going to go down. I think you should have a good guide to help you navigate through these ups and downs. So, when you're building a well-diversified portfolio, you're probably going to want to have some cash and bonds and stocks in it, maybe even some hard assets like gold or silver. But today, we're only going to be focusing in on the stock portion of it because I just don't have time to do everything. The stock side is what I love to do. Always has. It's been my hobby. It's been my profession. I'm a conservative value investor, which means I'm cheap. And I'm always looking for good businesses run by good managers that are growing and selling at reasonable prices. I don't ask for much. That's how I suggest you approach your investments, at least most of your investments. I want you to think of it as if you're buying a piece of the business or even the whole business. If you're buying a business, 
you're going to want to make sure that it's making money. And you just don't want to buy something that's going to require you to keep pumping money into it on a hope and a prayer that someday it'll turn around and make money for you. There's been a dash for the trash, as I like to say, dash for the trash type speculation going on lately. Investors are buying stocks right after companies are filing for bankruptcy. You know what? It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. As you build your portfolio of stocks, I want you to ask yourself two questions. One, is this a good business? And two, what price do I want to pay for it? Let's start with question number one. Is this a good business? The only way you're going to know that is if you understand it. Don't buy something that you don't reasonably understand. Stay where you're competent. You probably understand things like Apple and what Microsoft does, and there are probably other areas that you just don't understand. Another thing is, is when you look at a business, you want to make sure it has good end markets, meaning there's a steady growing demand for their services or products for the foreseeable future. For example, in 1910, it would have done you absolutely no good to go out and buy the best buggy whip manufacturer because, well, their product was about to be Come obsolete, thanks to Henry Ford. That's why most value managers like things like financial stocks, the banks, the insurance companies, because they're just not going to go away. I don't know what you're going to be driving in 20 years, or maybe it'll be driving you around, but I'm willing to wager that you'll be paying some type of insurance on it. You want a good, solid business that's being run by competent managers in the interest of the shareholders. Management can be a hard thing to judge sometimes. People get blinded by the recent returns and they don't look beyond that. When you're doing your research, one of the things you have to do is read the company's annual report. Actually, you should probably read the last five years worth of annual reports. And at the beginning, there's a letter from the guy or gal that runs the company. And you want to compare that or compare what they're saying this year to what they said last year and the year before. Did one year they make a promise or a big deal out of something and then the next year they just don't mention it. It's just totally disappeared. If you see those inconsistencies, well, that might be a red flag for you. Basically, what you're looking for is a business that's growing, a business that's providing a service or a product that's not going away anytime soon, a business that's run by good managers and in your best interest. Now, let's say you found a company that you're interested in. Here's where you have to answer that second question. And the second question is a bit harder to answer, especially now. What price do I pay for the business? There's no magic bullet here. There just isn't one. You can't just say that, well, I'll pay less than 10 times earnings for any business. What works well in valuing one business may not work so well in valuing another business. Let's break out the toolbox here and start talking about some of the tools that we can use to value stocks. Probably the one that you've heard the most about is the P-E ratio. That's the price to earnings ratio. If a stock is trading at $10 and it earns a dollar per share every year, then the stock is trading at 10 times earnings, price divided by earnings. A tech stock is going to be valued differently than, say, a consumer staple stock. So 
there is no right PE to target. What I suggest is two things. First, look at what the prices people have been willing to pay for the business over the last, say, five or 10 years. If it's trading below that longer term average, well, then you might be onto something. You also want to consider a business's relative PE, and that's the price relative to the overall market because, well, the market goes up and people are paying more for stocks at a certain time. When it goes down, then people are paying less. A relative PE lets you adjust for that. I love using value line. No, they don't pay me to say that. But what I love about them is that value line gives me 15 years of data at a glance. And I suggest you take a look at it and see if you can use it in your research. So I can look and I can see if a stock is trading for more than it usually does compared to itself and compared to the market. And Value Line just makes it very easy for me to review a bunch of companies to see if I want to go farther. And as I said, there is no right multiple of earnings to pay. I would argue you'd want to pay more for a high quality, predictable business than a low quality, unpredictable one. That's for sure. So, so sometimes you may not even want to look at the PE because it could be meaningless. And a good example of that would be when you're looking at the REITs, the Real Estate Investment Trust. The reason is, is because of accounting standards, they're depreciating their properties just like you would for your rental homes. And we all know that over the long term, these properties aren't declining in value. They're actually growing in value. So for REITs, you want to follow the cash, the cash flow. And a better metric for them is funds from operations, which is FFO or even adjusted FFO, the adjusted funds from operations. One of my favorite things to look at is free cash flow. And really, it's the thing I look at most often. I love cash. Free cash flow, or what some people refer to as owner's earnings. Like I said, you want to buy businesses that are making money. I'm going to tell you an easy way of how you can find out what the free cash flow is. If you go to a company's website, you can pull up their annual report and you should be reading it. So you should be there anyhow. So you pull up their annual report or you look at their form 10K and you want to find what's called the consolidated statement of cash flows. This is what you need to do the simple free cash flow calculation. Write this down. This is a really a very simplistic way of doing it. You take the net income and you add back in the depreciation and amortization because those aren't cash charges. Those are just kind of air charges. So you take the net income, add back in depreciation and amortization, and then you subtract out the capital expenditures. And I like using a five years average because it smooths things out a bit. With free cash flow, when you get that number, there's only so much you can do with free cash flow. You can pay down debt. You can buy another company. You can increase your R&D. You can pay a dividend and you can buy back stock. Those, All those are good for me as a shareholder. Think of free cash flow like your discretionary income. You bring home a paycheck and there's things you got to pay. The mortgage, the car payment, utilities. And once you get all that paid for, Whatever cash is left over, 
is your disposable income or your free cash flow. Let's take a look at one last tool you can use. It's usually most effective for financials like the banks, and and that's book value. Basically, all the assets get added up and all the liabilities get subtracted out. What you end up with is the book value. That's how much the company is worth. If it goes bankrupt and they liquidate everything, well, then you should know what you should get, at least theoretically. Let's face it. If you're a railroad and you go under and you're trying to sell 100 locomotives, it might be a little hard. And you almost certainly won't get the price that you're expecting for those 100 locomotives. But I think book value is handy for the banks and insurance companies. And if you want to take this a step farther, well, then you can look at tangible book value. And that basically wipes out the effect of goodwill and other non-cash items. So there you have it three ways you can use to value a stock. And as I said, there is no one way. There is no magic bullet. You have to do your homework. And that means working the numbers. You have the PE ratio, or you could use the relative PE. You could look at a company on a cash flow basis, free cash flow, or you could value it by using book value. These are three helpful uh, metrics that I use when I'm valuing stocks, and I hope that you find them useful too. That's about all the time we have for today. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This is Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. listen to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.